The Appalachian Trail is the world's longest footpath-only hiking trail, spanning nearly 2,200 miles from Mount Katahdin in Maine to Springer Mountain in Georgia. According to the Appalachian Trail Conservancy website, nearly 3 million people will hike the Appalachian Trail this year. It's terrain ranging from benign, family-friendly trail paths to treacherous, mountainous peaks that only the most experienced hikers can and do survive. So it's no surprise that people go missing on the Appalachian Trail every year, some by choice and some by circumstance. These are the stories of two of those hikers, Geraldine Larger and Paul Parr. I'm Annie Weebs, and this is Serial Spirits. The defendant's commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh. I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people. Then I would have felt better. Then I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Have you ever wanted to just unplug from the modern world and leave it all behind? To bring new meaning to the old adage, not all who wander are lost? Well, that old saying takes on an entirely new meaning when talking about the deaths and the disappearances of hikers on the Appalachian Trail. In 2013, 66-year-old Geraldine Larger left her home in Tennessee to start her nearly 2,000-mile hike on the Appalachian Trail. Geraldine, or Jerry, as her friends knew her, was a retired Air Force nurse who intended to hike the trail over the course of about six months. Geraldine loved the outdoors. It wasn't uncommon to see her leave for the woods, carrying her wildlife and bird-watching guidebooks. She'd even attended a hiking camp for a number of years. When she wasn't outdoors, she was with her family, her church, or doing her other pastime, quilting. Prior to setting out on her journey, Geraldine made practice runs on the trail, mapping out her route and the times that it took to get from point A to point B, and she began keeping a meticulous trail journal, documenting the ups and downs of the process. Geraldine began her hike in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, along with a friend who was meant to make the hike with her. But along the way, the friend was forced to leave the hike to deal with a family emergency, leaving Geraldine to hike the remainder of the trail alone. George, Geraldine's husband of 42 years, was scheduled to meet her at pre-planned stops along the trail to provide Geraldine with the supplies and to ensure her safety along the way. There seems to be a real sense of community amongst the hikers on the Appalachian Trail. 
Many of them leave their old personalities behind and adopt nicknames along the way. When these hikers stop at hostels and lean-tos to spend the night, they usually identify themselves by their nicknames. Geraldine's nickname was Inchworm, a fun poke her new friends made at the pace she kept hiking the Appalachian Trail. Geraldine's new friends also pointed out another less-than-ideal trait of hers that most hikers would have found detrimental. A not-so-great sense of direction. Nevertheless, 66-year-old Geraldine trudged along the trail on her own, determined to finish her trip. On July 22, 2013, George was scheduled to meet Geraldine in an area of Maine called the Route 27 Crossing. Geraldine was last seen at a trail shelter that was nearly 22 miles away from the Route 27 Crossing. Geraldine never arrived for their meeting. What George didn't know was that Geraldine was lost and attempting to text George with her whereabouts and ask for help. At 11 o'clock that morning, Geraldine texted, quote, in some trouble, got off trail to go to BR, now lost. Can you call AMC to see if a trail maintainer can help me somewhere north of Woods Road, XOX, end quote. You might ask yourself how she got so lost just stepping off the trail to go to the bathroom. Geraldine was following the Appalachian Trail's rules of leave no trace, which says that hikers must remove themselves at least 200 feet from the trail to relieve themselves and then either bury their waste in toilet paper or carry it out in sealed bags. Geraldine was in one of the thickest parts of the trail here which would have made it nearly impossible to see the trail from where she was using the bathroom. Geraldine's text to George never sent. She tried 10 times over the next hour and 30 minutes to try to send the text, climbing to the top of the hills to get a better signal. The next day, still lost, she tried to send texts for help again. On July 23rd at 4.18 p.m., she attempted to text George, quote, lost since yesterday, off trail three or four miles, call police for what to do, please, XOX, end quote. It was the last text Geraldine would ever send. When Geraldine had not appeared at their meeting place by July 24th, George notified the local authorities. Search parties began hiking the trail, looking for any sign of her. Word got out to other hikers, the owners of local hostels, and businesses along the trails, detailing where Geraldine was thought to have been last. Many remembered seeing her, but not in a number of days. Helicopters were sent up to search by air, canine units were brought in to sniff out Geraldine's scent. Her family arrived to join in the search. Still nothing. The weather in the days around her disappearance didn't help the search either. It had rained heavily, which made the search even more difficult. Canines couldn't pick up a scent, and most of the hikers had been hunkered down in shelters, waiting for the rain to pass during the time of Geraldine's disappearance. The search continued for weeks, but the teams began to disseminate when no signs of Geraldine were found. Pilots said they wouldn't search by air again until the fall, when the leaves had fallen from the trees and would give better visibility. Time marched on, just as the hikers did. 
but Geraldine was still gone. Tips continued to come in, saying that she had been seen in New Hampshire. A psychic called the family, saying that Geraldine was living in a cave and may have been attacked by a bear. In 2014, her phone account was activated in Chicago, but it was someone who had stolen Geraldine's identity and attempted to open an account in her name. In October 2015, a private forester from a company surveying the land for the U.S. Navy came upon a tattered campsite. Inside a battered tent was a light blue sleeping bag, and in that bag, a human skeleton. He had found the remains of Geraldine Larger. Geraldine had kept a detailed journal, which was still here, sealed in a weatherproof bag. In that journal, she wrote of how she became lost when she left the trail and how she had heard the search helicopters. She had attempted to flag them down by waving her red fleece jacket, a silver mylar heat blanket. She had even attempted to build a fire for a smoke signal. Still nothing. She kept a calendar of her days lost, how she had rationed her food. On August 6th, she turned her phone on, hoping for a signal. Her journal says at this point, she had been out of food for nine days. And during her entire time lost, Geraldine wrote letters to her family. She apologized for what had happened, writing that no hike was more important than her family. Her final journal entry was made on August 18th. Geraldine wrote, quote, When you find my body, please call my husband George and my daughter Carrie. It will be the greatest kindness for them to know that I am dead and where you found me, no matter how many years from now. Please find it in your heart to mail the contents of this bag to one of them. End quote. Probably the most devastating part of this entire story is that Geraldine was found on a trail called Railroad Road, about 2,300 feet from the cross-section of another trail, which led to the main road. She was so close to help and didn't even know it. It baffled searchers at how close they had been to her, but still couldn't see her because of the density of the forest at that time. By the time the leaves had fallen, giving some clearance of the area, Geraldine had passed away, tucked in her sleeping bag, with her campsite set up neatly all around her. Serial Spirits will return right after this short break. Tracy, what I tell you about playing the organ while I'm trying to record a commercial? Dang, my bad. Get off my nuts. Hey, Hillbilly Horror Stories fans, I'm Annie Weaves. And I'm Brendan Shea. We are paranormal investigators and hosts of Serial Spirits Podcast. We're excited to be a part of the Hillbilly Horror Stories 6th Anniversary Live Show at the Old Hospital on College Hill. We have had the privilege to investigate there, and wow, is this place active. Hey guys, it's Jerry. And Tracy. We are so excited to have Annie and Brendan with us on Saturday, August 20th at the Old Hospital on College Hill in Williamson, West Virginia. You will hear both shows do a live version of our podcast, and then everyone will get a tour of the hospital. Get your tickets today at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. And don't procrastinate, because seating is limited.
As devastating as the death of Geraldine Larger was, our second story is just as confounding as hers and still unsolved. This is the 2014 disappearance of Paul Parr. Paul was a 50-year-old construction worker from Alice, Wisconsin. Paul's girlfriend alerted authorities when the man abruptly quit his job, withdrew $5,000 from his bank account, and told her he was leaving to hike the Appalachian Trail. She advised authorities that Paul had a history of mental illness and had recently been diagnosed as schizophrenic. She believed that Paul had attempted suicide earlier in the year and also had high blood pressure. She feared that Paul, in whatever state he was in, may try to harm himself again. Sightings of Paul after his disappearance began on June 5, 2014, when a man fitting his description walked into the Wallace E. Interpretive Center in Nilsgat, Georgia. The center is the only man-made structure that actually passes through the Appalachian Trail and acts as a hostel and a mail stop at one of the trail's southernmost points. The woman working the front desk at the Wallace E. Center said that a man laid a set of car keys and $200 down on her desk and asked her to watch his car. He told her he would be gone about six months, and he was hiking the trail north to Baxter State Park in Maine and to Mount Katahdin. The woman agreed to watch his car, and he left. In less than one week, hikers on the trail found a backpack full of gear, abandoned less than a mile from the Wallace E. Center. The pack contained a GoPro camera, clothes, food, a tent, a sleeping bag, $3,000 in cash, and an ID. The bag belonged to Paul Parr. Around the same time that the backpack was discovered, hikers along the trail reported seeing a man fitting Paul's description wearing only shorts, a t-shirt and flip-flops, and was carrying a garbage bag as a sleeping bag. Authorities attempted to ping Paul's cell phone, but the last available ping was just outside of Cleveland, Ohio, days earlier. It appeared that he had turned his phone off days before arriving in Georgia. After finding all of Paul's belongings abandoned on the trail, authorities feared that he had left for the Appalachian Trail to die by suicide. But reports of sightings of Paul in the coming weeks seemed to say otherwise. On June 7th, Paul was seen at Deep Gap, Georgia, and again on June 8th in Plum Orchard Gap, Georgia. On June 10th, a hiker who had been staying at the Standing Indian Shelter in North Carolina said that he spent the night sheltering with Paul. He said that Paul spent the evening reading the New Testament and discussing religion. Then on June 17th, Paul was seen in the Great Smoky Mountains in North Carolina climbing the Wesser Bald Fire Tower, a well-known overlook spot on the trail. That's a distance of 81 miles that Paul had traveled by foot at that point. Also, while at Wesser Bald, some concerned hikers who noticed that Paul was not carrying any supplies offered him nearly a week's worth of provisions, which he accepted. So it gave authorities hope that maybe Paul began his trip on the Appalachian Trail not to end his life, but to find himself somewhere along the way. 
Paul's brother stated that at home in Wisconsin, Paul was an avid outdoorsman who loved hunting and fishing. Maybe this was a good sign that Paul would reemerge at some point and reach out to family to let them know that he was okay. But soon after these sightings, the trail of Paul Parr went cold. Reports of sightings stopped despite the bizarre missing persons flyers distributed throughout the park by the Union County Sheriff's Department. The flyers had a picture of Paul with the following description, quote, Missing person, possibly suicidal. Should you come into contact, do not approach. Also, should you come into contact with an unfamiliar odor, please mark the area and notify Union County Sheriff's Department immediately at 706-439-6066, end quote. I combed the internet for more information in regards to the disappearance of Paul Parr, and not much more exists. The last bizarre detail I found came from a site called AppalachianTrailCafe.net, which is a blog forum for people interested in hiking the trail. On September 4, 2016, a user named Traffic Jam responded to a user named Jim Blue in a discussion thread about another missing man named Patrick Flaherty. Traffic Jam said, quote, This situation reminds me of Paul Parr. Jim Blue, I met a man named Paul Parr near Newfoundland Gap. He was hiking with a kid's book bag and wearing flip-flops. You meet all kinds of people out hiking, end quote. If you have any information on the disappearance of Paul Parr on the Appalachian Trail, please contact the Union County, Georgia Sheriff's Department at 706-439-6066. Guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Serial Spirits. Please, if you like what you hear, feel free to leave us a five-star review. That helps other podcasters find us And we really appreciate all the love and support that you've given Serial Spirits over the years. Please don't forget our upcoming event with Hillbilly Horror Stories at the Old Hospital on College Hill in Williamson, West Virginia on August the 20th. It's going to be an awesome event. Tickets are on sale at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. We would love to meet you guys out there. Until then, kids, creep it real. Bye-bye.